Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in L.A. And today we celebrate the ultimate comeback story of the 80s. We honor Steve Perry. Just one story in this week's episode of 80s News Now. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. Don't forget to listen to our podcast and many other great shows at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, please, if you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Steve Perry. Steve Perry. And I should have been gone. We said no more journey psychouts. Dude, I'm running out of ideas. So here we are again. We don't do this uh, format very often, but it's been an incredibly up and down roller coaster week for 80s fans. Lots going on. We want to talk about it. We know you want to talk about it. So let's chat. One special feature of this week's show, I will tell you now, the 2011 interview that I did with Steve Perry, we will present that again during this show an edited version of that conversation that he and i had eight years ago great white buffalo <laughs> and uh, obviously we'll talk about what happened to him this week but first let's get started Aretha Franklin, the queen of soul, died this week after a bout with pancreatic cancer. She was 76. Tributes poured in from everyone. Artists, musicians, celebrities, even a former president. Aretha helped define the American experience, Barack Obama wrote in a Twitter post. In her voice, we could feel our history, all of it, and in every shade. Our power and our pain, our darkness and our light, our quest for redemption and our hard-won respect. May the queen of soul rest in eternal peace. Wow. So I got to say, Steve, I don't really think of Aretha Franklin as an 80s person, but then I started looking at just what she did in the 80s. And it's pretty, I mean, that would be a career for anybody else. Just what she did in the 80s. Well, it was her comeback was in the 80s. I mean, obviously she was, you know, a huge player, you know, in music. Oh, yeah. Like in the early 70s, all she did was win Grammys. Like every year, she won the Grammy for best female R and B vocal performance for like six years yeah. running. Well, you have to give the Blues Brothers credit. That movie came out in 1980, and it rekindled a lot of people's careers. I mean, yeah. Dan Aykroyd is like the patron saint of the blues now because of what he was able to do for it through this movie. And Aretha Franklin has easily yeah. one one of the best moments. You better think about what you're saying. 
You better think about the consequences of your actions. Yeah. I mean, do you think that a white boy in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, is going to be listening to Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles or even know who Matt Guitar Murphy is without this movie? Of course No. It, it was fantastic. The Blues Brothers obviously yeah. dropped, but then she was a record machine in the 80s. How many studio yeah. albums did she have? She had seven studio albums, starting with 1980's Aretha and ending with 1989's Through the Storm. We'll skip over 1986's album, also titled Aretha. You know, I don't know. They just had trouble figuring out what to call these things, so they just named them after her. But she had seven albums, two, two certified gold Who's Zoomin' Who from 1985, certified platinum. Wow. She had three R&B number ones in the decade, four top 20 singles in the Billboard Hot 100, including I Knew You Were Waiting For Me with George Michael, which was number one. Good one. Yeah. Yeah. And then Freeway of Love, Who's Zoomin' Who, and Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves with the Arrhythmics, which I'd completely forgot about that track. That's a fun totally song. Totally forgot about that too, Yeah. She's the first female artist inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. You all know how I feel about wow. that, but uh, wow. that's still, yeah, still that's that's something. And she uh, was nominated for two MTV Video Music Awards. She didn't win, but she was, you know, she was on the board. So, I, like I said, I mean, that's a career just in that yeah. decade, and that's just a slice of what she did. You know, when people give the '80s grief for being shallow or, you know. All, paper thin all, yeah all sizzle no steak then you you have to throw something like aretha franklin at them and say look this this amazing woman who graced music for decades yeah you know gave us some of her best work you mm-hmm. know during the 80s yeah so you could drop all that you know that nonsense about why the 80s are soulless when you had Aretha Franklin. Yeah, the queen of soul. So so very prominent in that decade. I mean, just giving us her best. I mean, she repped soul like nobody else, and she'll be sorely missed. Absolutely. Let's move on. By the way, support for Stuck in the 80s this week comes from Simple Contacts. Uh, I have to tell you guys about my newest time-saving trick. Uh, I mean, I'm the laziest guy in the world. Um, the, the fact that we've done nearly 500 podcasts is is it's such a ridiculous um, loophole in my overall uh, <laughs> it's, it lethargy. plays against type. Right. I, I've been wearing contact lenses since I was in ninth grade. And by far, one of my least favorite things to do is to go to the eye doctor and, you know, have to reorder them and then have to wait, you know, however many weeks till they show up, the whole nine yards. So I was really happy when Simple Contacts decided to become a sponsor of Stuck in the 80s. They let you renew your prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from anywhere on my couch is how I did it through an online vision test. You use your phone. That's so cool. You use your phone. It almost makes me want to get contacts again. You should. It's designed by doctors. Every test is reviewed by a doctor. So literally you have a doctor on, on the couch with you, which that doesn't actually sound That's great. not creepy at all. That's no, not creepy at all. I dated a doctor once. So I guess you know I had a doctor on my couch then, but that that was a long Save time. Save it for ago. the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story. The contact lens prices are unbeatable, and the vision test is only twenty dollars, and shipping is free. Best of all, since you're a stuck in the '80s listener, you get a special deal: get twenty dollars off your first Simple Contacts order with the promo code Radical. Try it for yourself. Save twenty dollars on your lenses. Just go to simplecontacts.com/radical, or if you prefer. Just use the promo code RADICAL at checkout. Hey, this is not a replacement for your uh, annual full eye exam. 
you're still going to need those. I need those. But at least this is a convenient way to renew your prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Again, that's $20 off at simplecontacts.com slash radical. Enter the promo code radical. Save time, save money, save yourself a headache with Simple Contacts. Now on with the show. Madonna Louise Veronica Ciccone. That's a lot of names there, my friend. Can we just call you Madonna? Well, whatever you call her, she turned 60 years old this week, Steve. Holy crap. How is that even possible? That's crazy. 60 years old. Yeah. I know. Lately, Madonna's been working on her 14th, 14th studio album, which she has said will be influenced heavily by Portuguese fado music. We'll have to check in with uh, Miguel... Duarte on that one yeah. so he can explain it to us but my understanding is it's a traditional genre it's characterized by mournful tunes mm. and lyrics infused with a sentiment of resignation fatefulness and melancholia i think we may have found a madonna album that you can connect with steve i'm feeling good about this maybe this is the key to madonna unlocking your cold cold heart yeah god wow i'm i'm, I'm intrigued i know right She's also directing a film, Taking Flight, based on the Sierra Leonean-American ballet dancer Michaela de Prince's memoir. And because I know what a big fan you are, Steve, I have prepared a five-question Queen of Pop quiz. Okay. Are you ready for this? Uh, No, but (laughs) I'm going to do it anyway. I think you're going to do fine. I think you're going to do fine. I'm not trying to get you here. I'm, I'm trying to inform and entertain. Okay. Okay, here we go. Question one. How many Grammy Awards was Madonna nominated for in the 1980s? Was it three, five, or six? Uh, I'm going to say five. Mm. Incorrect, sir. It was three. Oh, okay. And how many wins? Uh, one. Famously, mm. zero. Wow. I knew you'd be happy about that, so I put that No, I'm not happy. I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah, I'm a little happy. I was surprised. Honestly, I was surprised. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Number two, did Madonna have more studio albums or more movie appearances in the 1980s? Oh, you did a good job on this. This is really good. Uh, More albums or more movie appearances? I'm going to go with more movie appearances. You are correct, sir. Four studio albums and five movie appearances, not counting the extra weird... 60-minute indie picture, A Certain Sacrifice, that was made in 1979 that I think she got paid 100 bucks for and wasn't released until she became famous later. Okay, interesting. Here we go. Number three. You're doing good, Steve. How many number one singles on the pop charts did Madonna have in the 1980s? Was it seven, nine, or 12? Oh, it couldn't have been more than seven. You are correct, sir. Yes. Yes. You want to take a guess at how many top tens? That might be closer to 15. 17. That's pretty close. That's wow. good. Okay. So yeah, I knew more than okay. I thought. Number four, it's a two-parter. Yes, this is my uh, this is my nod to back to school. I have but one question. <laughs> I have only one question for Mr. Mellon. In 27 parts. 
So 4A, how many Golden Raspberry Awards was Madonna nominated for in the 80s? Oh, well, I would say um, two. Oh, man, you're a savant, Steve. That is correct. Worst Actress nomination for 1987's Shanghai Surprise and for 1988's Who's That Girl? Yeah, I was going to say, I know Who's That Girl has got to, to be won. And how many did she win, Steve? Uh, she probably won it. I know she won at least one. Is that your final answer? Well, clearly you'd like me to say two. Yep, she swept it. <laughs> Nominated twice, won twice. Okay, good, 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 good. This is fun. And here's our last question. This is another, not exactly multiple choice, but you got you got a 50-50 chance on every one of them. Madonna is the 16th all-time best-selling artist in the United States based on total certified album units sold as of April 2018. Number 16 with 64.5 million units. Okay. So I'm going to give you five artists, and I want you to tell me whether they are have sold more or less than Madonna. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay? Yeah. So... First up, Phil Collins. More. Less. Wow. Only 33 million units. Okay. Wow. Bad start. Michael Jackson. More. That is correct. He's number seven with 81 million units. Prince. I'm going to say less. That is correct. Only 36.5 million units. Probably because I didn't ever buy any Prince records. Yes, that's exactly why. (laughs) Okay. Next up, U2. I have to think it's more. It is not. Whoa. Less. Wow. 52 million units. And here's the last one. ACDC. Uh, um, Remember, this is all time. This is all time. All time? It's all time. Okay. Maybe I was confused there. Um, I still think I wouldn't change any of my answers, though. Yeah. Uh, ACDC. I'm going to say more. That is correct. 72 okay. million units. They're, wow. number, they're number 10. Madonna's number 16. Wow. Yeah. Very good. That was fun. Okay. should do that more often. I will try to quiz you more frequently, Mr. Spearsy. Well, let's get back to the show, which has lasted longer than Madonna's marriage to Sean Penn. I know it's been a long time coming, Steve Perry, since we saw your face. The former frontman of Journey shocked everyone this week when he released new music. Yes, new music. A song and video called No Erasin was released Wednesday. It's the first song off his upcoming solo album Traces due out October 5th. What do you think of the song? You know what? I liked it. I, I've never been, and I think I've, I've, I'm on record on the podcast. With, I was never a huge Journey fan. I, I mean, I think I respect Steve Perry. I, I enjoy hearing his voice again, though. Hearing him, I've seen some things where people are like, oh, I don't really like the song. I don't think it's that great. And I'm like, you know what? Shut up. The song's good. <laughs> he sounds great. And it, it, if you watch him singing it, he's clearly having a great time. And it just it made me happy to see him happy. Does that make any sense? I, yes. In fact, that's a lot of like what I was going to say. I think the the 
first time I heard the song, I didn't really love it, or I'm not even sure I liked it. And then I played it a couple more times, and it started getting stuck in my head, which is always a good thing. Yeah, and as we all know, the, the cure for any earworm is uh, obviously to hum the theme to the A team. But I did not do that. I wanted this song to remain in my head. Let it stay. What I like about it is I just like the fact that he did it. I mean, here's a guy who's yeah. been really out of the business for 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. The last time he recorded with Journey was 1996 for Trial by Fire. Uh, I think we all know by now the story. He was uh, getting ready to go on tour. He was getting back in shape by hiking in Hawaii, which we all do. And sure, hurt himself. And doctor said he needed a hip replacement surgery. Man. The band waited a year or so and then finally gave him an ultimatum. Get the surgery now and rejoin us for a tour or we're going to find a replacement. I think we all know what happened next. I just like the fact that he's out there again. Like He's been talking about making new music. For a long time. When I interviewed him back in 2011, and we're, we're going to hear that interview here in a few minutes, he had just remastered a bunch of Journey hits, and he remastered uh, Street Talk, his solo album. Mm -hmm. And we talked about Journey. We talked about him leaving the band, and we talked about him making new music, and that he, yeah. he was recording stuff. He was laying stuff down. And so at the time, I thought, well, okay, maybe we're going to hear something in the next year. That was right. seven years ago. Yeah. Seven years yeah. ago. And how long ago was it now that he p popped up on stage with the Eels? That's been two or three years, too. It seems like that's been two or three years. So earlier this week, we saw suddenly a bunch of social media accounts opened under his name. We saw right. a new steveperry.com website come up, and everyone's like, well, you know, what does this mean? Is this even him? Did somebody else do this for him? Right. Um, that was part of the mystery. Well, anyway, we are going to play the interview from 2011. It, I think it's it still as relevant today as it was then. We also have a letter to read. But first, support for Stuck in News this week also comes from Away Travel. First thing that happened when I got my new job and I told my coworkers about our podcast, because that's like, I don't think there's anything interesting about me whatsoever. <laughs> but but we, I beg to differ. Just, You've interviewed Steve Perry. Well, but, except for the 80s thing. That's it. That's all I've got. Okay. I mean, I so yeah. So when you're like, oh, a fun fact about me is I started an '80s podcast. Yeah, an 80s sure. podcast, and we've been doing it for 13 years. That is truly the only interesting thing about me. The rest of me is barely tolerable by most people. Oh, stop. Anyway, the coworkers were curious about the podcast, and they asked if we had sponsors for it. And I said, yeah, sure. We've got you know, HelloFresh. We have Away Travel, and, and one of my colleagues freaked out. She had been waiting to buy a away travel bag, but she, she wanted a promo code. She had heard there were promo codes out there. She's going to be so happy that we have one now. That's because away travel makes great luggage people want because the company asked travelers what they wanted. And the answer is pretty obvious. It's what we all want. Low price, high quality, plenty of sizes and colors. All their suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate, both strong and lightweight, like my liver. And they all have four 360-degree spinner wheels, just like my liver, to guarantee a smooth ride, unlike my liver. <laughs> and uh, here's Brad's favorite part, the carry-on models, which you have. You have a carry-on model, right? I do. I do. I used it just last weekend when I was getting my son settled in his apartment. And I remember when you got it, the first thing you bragged about was it has the, like a built-in recharger with 
for anything that has a USB cord, right? Yeah, it's a cool feature. I know at the time when I got it, I'm like, this is so stupid. And then I used it at the airport. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> I, I always feel bad for those poor saps at the airport who are like sitting on the floor next to a huddled around the outlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need one of these carry on bags. Uh, anyway, uh, away luggage comes with a 100 day trial. Live with it, vibe with it, travel with it, Instagram it. At any point you decide it's not the bag for you, just return it for a full refund. No questions asked. Now, here's the deal my coworker Rhea is waiting for. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash radical and use the promo code radical. Are you starting to sense a trend here where our promo codes are always radical? It's because we are so radical, no, Steve. It's <laughs> no, that's not it. Well, maybe you are. Uh, not so much me. I'm just a man, Steve. Just a man. Uh, that's it. Save yourself $20. Visit awaytravel.com slash radical. Use the promo code RADICAL. Your travel stress is about to melt away, my friends. Yay. It's like my liver. <laughs> that many liver jokes. People are going to start to like email me. I'm fine, I think. <laughs> anyway, so we're talking about Steve Perry and his return to music. Earlier this week, obviously, I was saying the social media accounts started ramping up. Nobody knew what to make of it. And then the single came out, Noah Rayson. And Perry did a bunch of interviews to promote it i was not one of them but that's okay you know he and i had, you our had your turn time you had your turn yeah but from those interviews we start to get our first insights into the stories behind the new music and i, I particularly like the interview he did with the current on uh, minnesota public radio i believe it's one of their shows i'll put a link to the interview in the podcast notes during that interview he talked about his girlfriend kelly nash mm-hmm. who already had stage four breast cancer before they met but once they did meet, it, they were inseparable, he says. Mm. She would die, I believe, in 2012 from the disease. Steve said, quote, it was a little rough. It took me at least two and a half years to grieve. And I mean deeply grieve. I couldn't stop crying sometimes, unquote. Mm. About the song No Racing, Steve says, it's a song about two people who go to a class reunion and see each other for the first time after years. And they both have separate lives with people at home, but they remember they used what they used to have when they were in high school. And high school is always an amazing place in your heart. Obviously, he knows it has a double meaning. He admits, quote, at some level, the relationship I'm talking about is the relationship with the audience, too. I know it's been a long time coming since I saw your face because it has been. And no running anymore. My soul's burning just like it did before. There's a lot of metaphors about that nature of about performing and being in front of people again, which will lock up the lyrics when that happened. So there we go. We also got this amazing letter this week from Sean Fitzgerald right after the song dropped. I'm going to let Brad read it. Okay. Sean writes, Dear Stephen Brad, it's been a long time since we've heard anything from former lead singer Journey Steve Perry. To this date, my absolute favorite Stuck in the 80s podcast was, is, and always will be episode 251, the Steve Perry interview. Let me just say that is our number one downloaded show in the back catalog Mm. for obvious reasons. Sean continues. I, like many others, have followed him over the years from occasional sightings at baseball games to the random performances recorded on someone's cell phone. He is the mystical unicorn of the music industry. Love them or hate them, no one can deny that Journey was at its pinnacle during the Perry days. The interview conducted seven years ago captured exactly why so many people love the man. I had the honor of seeing Journey in Shreveport, Louisiana during the Raised on the Radio tour with Glass Tiger as the opening act over 30 years ago. Since that time, I've seen them with two other lead singers, Jeff Scott Soto and Arnell Pineda. My love for the band's music, especially live, has never wavered. 
To this day, however, Steve Perry is still the placeholder for me personally as the greatest frontman ever to grace the rock stage. His talent is rare, his voice instantly recognizable. So imagine my surprise today when I open my YouTube feed to find his new single, No Erasin. I've been hearing rumblings the past week about a new album, and today I'm pleased to say I've pre-ordered the deluxe 2LP autographed album. So many questions to both of you today, even though I know you may not be Journey fans. One, how do you feel about the original interview, looking back at episode 251, and would you change anything about it if you could go back, Steve? And two, do you think he still has it after listening to the single, and would you see him live if you had the opportunity? Thank you both for the labor of love that is the Stuck in the 80s podcast. I'll be taking the ride with you for as long as it lasts. Sean Fitzgerald. Well, we'll answer uh, Sean's question after the interview, but first, let's take that ride again. Here's my 2011 interview with the voice, the legendary Steve Perry. Thirty minutes alone with Steve Perry. This is uh, a dream I've waited about thirty years for. Wow, this is this is like uh, a date or something. <laughs> I feel like I need to put uh, I need to put Laura like on my permanent Christmas card list for setting this up. I've only <laughs> you and me both. Yeah, um, your your relationship with the media. You've almost kind of become like the Howard Hughes of rock and roll as far as. Uh, Well, that's what it does to me. Um, from the second I put on Greatest Hits Volume 2 and you hear the first couple chords of Stone in Love, I mean, I just about collapsed into my chair. Those crazy nights I do remember in my youth. Well, it's funny. When I was assembling this thing, um, I was just reviewing just now. I'm looking at it right now, the set list, and I, I forgot myself uh, how they work together uh it took forever to get them to sort of flow but you're right i just was looking at stone of love after the fall chain reaction party's over escape still they write good morning girl and to stay a while then suzanne and feeling that way anytime well, those two songs were classic in the beginning era of when i first joined the band feeling that way anytime you know they were they were in a period where aor radio was absolutely king in this country and in the world and those songs sort of introduced what the band once was and introduced me in the midst of those songs as a new singer in the band so that was important to my heart and and, and the times and then walks like a lady and little girl and just the same way with greg Rowley and impatiently then thinking of you and then the live mother father right right which i i think that's one of my favorite live tracks of all time it, it is for me too and i'll tell you why the the very first time i ever saw you on stage it was my first ever concert and it was uh October twenty second, nineteen eighty one, at the Lakeland Civic Center in Florida, and it was the, so it was the Escape Tour, and I think it was about two weeks before you filmed the Houston concert from that from where that's taken. Right. 
so literally when I watch the Houston DVD, it's like watching, you know, my past unfold in front of me again. It's bizarre. Right. And, and you know, what's funny, we, we used to play the Hollywood Sportatorium years ago. Do you remember that in, in Hollywood, Florida? No, that's that's. There was a, it, oh, that was that was an interesting. It was like a roadie. <laughs> that's where we started with Van Halen opening for us. It was a tin building that was used for rodeos out in the middle of nowhere, and you had to ride in there with a dirt road, and it was just a mess. And when you the people were stomping around, there was plywood on the ground, and they would be stomping up and down on plywood, so it would make dust. And the room was just, you'd literally leave, and there would be boogers in your nose. It was just horrible, you know. But boy, did it rock like a son of a bitch. I mean, that place, Florida, used to rock hard. It still does. It's weird. I mean, back in the day, uh, Lakeland, which is like the halfway point between Orlando and Tampa, was the only place that had a concert venue. So everybody played there, even though it's this tiny little town. But so ha- most of my memories of rock and roll in the 70s and 80s is all based in this tiny little arena in this podunk town that no one plays at anymore. And you know what? You came from a little podunk town in, in Florida, and now you're like, you're the main guy at the Times. I mean, Steve, you know, what is that about? I came from a little podunk town in California called Hanford, California. And then what did my mom do when I was about... 12, 13, she was afraid the town was getting too too dangerous and too big. Okay, it was only like 12,000 people. So we moved to the one that was 7,000 people, so a town called Lamore, so I would be a lot safer at Lemar High School. You know? So, I mean, talk about little little farm towns, all, you know? And, uh, well, I think, I think, Steve, we did okay. Yeah, it's all about the work ethic, I think. I think so. You were probably raised with the same one I had, which was you got to bust your butt. Yeah. You, you and I actually had a pseudo conversation a few years ago. We, um, you were interviewed on Canadian um, Radio 1 about uh, Don't Stop Believing. It was right after it broke big on Glee again. And they interviewed uh-huh. you, and they had interviewed me beforehand, and then they would stop the interview every once in a while and say, we'd like to play a clip now from Steve Spears from Stuck in the 80s. And I'm sitting there at home listening to it going, my God, they're playing clips of me and Steve Perry's listening to it. And now he's reacting to it. And I'm like, I must be out of my mind to think that I have any idea what I'm talking about when it comes to, uh, you know, it's like, how did I get myself into this situation? <laughs> did you have a feeling that you'd love to have uh, reset something differently? No, I think I, I think I nailed it. I think, I think I, I, they'd ask me, you know, what the longevity of the song was about. But I'm like, geez, ask Steve Perry about the I mean, Don't ask me. But I mean, I I had said something about how it's this perfect combination of piano and vocals and guitar and how the chorus is at the end and how is this reaffirming theme and and everything. And, you know, it it was I think we're going to get a chance to talk about it all over again because, you know, Rock of Ages, the musical, which has that as the finale, it's about to be made into a movie. So I I get a feeling you're a lot of people. You're not done talking about Don't Stop Believing yet. I, I, I guess not. And and I. I don't really know why, except that I'm so grateful that, that the song has just caught on and people love it. So uh, I get everything from people my age to younger to younger. I've had seven-year-old to nine-year-old kids come up to me and say how much they love that song. And uh, at a baseball game, they want me to sign their glove or, their, or a ball. It just to see that happen in my lifetime is uh, I'm just profoundly grateful for that. Just a small town girl. Living in a lonely world 
It's really hard to even think of another song from any generation that has the ability to continually, you know, resurface and 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 become just as popular as it has. It just well, you know, all the songs when we were recording them uh, were given the same love and treatment and and uh, and consideration and heartfelt performances. I mean, we as a band worked hard on every single track, whether it was Chain Reaction, Separate Ways, or, or Center My Love, or Open Arms, or, or you know, Mother Father Alive, or, or anything on The Greatest Hits 2. Walks Like a Lady. I mean, all of them, different as they may be to each other, we're all given the same kind of like uh, uh, emotional express performance. So the wasn't one that we thought would, you know, we couldn't have said back then, hey, well, gee whiz, in 2011, <laughs> Don't Stop Believing is going to be the one. They all felt like they were in that category because we loved them all the same. But, you know, uh, the world chooses what it chooses and time does what it does, you know. How did you get involved with the Greatest Hits 2 project? Sony called me and asked me to oversee the remastering of the Greatest Hits and the Greatest Hits 2 compilation to put that together to vinyl. Um, so together with the band's input too on Greatest Hits 2 uh, through channels, they, they gave their sort of like wish list and I gave my wish list and, and Neil Sean, he was the one who won the little girl on Greatest Hits 2 so we added that and pulled another one and um, because you know there's time constraints on vinyl but there are not uh, on CDs. So that's why we went to four discs so we could get it all in there and get the fidelity up. But Sony basically came up to me and wanted me to oversee it as I had done, you know, the essential and a few other packages. So what, what song got pulled for a uh, little girl? Do you remember? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which one did get pulled? That's really a great question. Let me look at the list again. I might be able to tell you. You know, it's so funny looking at it right now. I can't tell you because he's worked so well together. They, they do. But I guess it was a great idea. Um, uh, gosh, it's, it'll come to me when we're talking. <laughs> I, I, I can't right now. Oh, I know what it was. Eyes of a Woman. I'll tell you, yeah. when you look at the set list for Grace Hits 2, as I'm doing right now, and, and so are you, it, it feels more like, it doesn't feel like a Grace Hits thing. It feels like a mixtape that has been, you know, dreamt up by literally the greatest, you know, the biggest Journey fan on earth. I mean, it really is like, you know, I mean, these are songs that, some of these I haven't listened to since I heard them for the first time on the album. And, and, but they're just, they're time machines, every single one of them. Steve, I got to tell you, um, I put the list together. Uh, I suggested uh, 
it to the band, and the only change they had was they just wanted to, Dio wanted to add Little Girl. That was the only change. So I think that the biggest Journey fan in the world was me. I know that sounds self-indulgent, but it isn't meant to be. But I still am one of the biggest Journey fans in the world. I believe in these tracks. I believe in the time that existed when we were together that spawned these amazing tracks. Uh, I mean, I believe in the trust that the manager and Greg Rowley and Neil Sean had in me when I first joined the band that led to feeling that way and allowing me to come in. I mean, I I believe these guys trusted that I was not going to let them down. And I remember telling the manager, Herbie, when he gave me my chance in 1978, I said, Herbie, I promise you that I will not jeopardize the faith you have in me in this industry. I'll do everything I can to live up to the faith that you have in me in this industry. You know what I mean? Right. And and that's all I tried to do. And I did tell him that. If you ever talk to him, you ask him that. <laughs> and I feel I never did jeopardize the respect that he had attained in that at that point in his career by taking a chance on me. And so, I, I mean, I don't know what to say, except that I, I really am a huge fan of, of how hard we worked uh, our time together. Uh, uh, how hard we toured. You really got to know we toured really hard. I mean, that the, the, the grueling tour schedule cannot be attained by anybody anymore. I mean, we never stopped. Yeah. Four or five shows in a row, and a day off wasn't a day off. Steve, it was a, an, a travel day, <laughs> because the only reason there wasn't a show there is because it was impossible for the trucks to get there in time. That's the truth. So you'd have a, a travel day, and you'd lose your show day. Otherwise, I'm telling you, it would have been six, seven days a week. Wow. That's amazing. That's the truth. No, I believe that, it. Because that's how, that's how you did it back then. It was like running for public office. You really had to, to travel every single day and perform every night. And there was times we just lived on the bus, and we'd get what's called day rooms. People don't realize that. we just get a day room. And the day room was so that everybody could take a shower. <laughs> oh, God. Because there was no shower on the bus. I'm not making this up, Steve. Okay? So that's that's the truth. And yeah. there wasn't enough towels to go around. and <laughs> So we'd have to use, you know, damn towels. <laughs> you know, whose towel is this? Who showered before me? Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> So it was it was uh, it was just like that. So we lived on the bus and uh, one big sweaty pile on that bus, uh, and then we got to where we could get hotel rooms, and then we were rooming, uh, we were sharing rooms, and then we got to. I remember when we finally got to have our own rooms, which we were making enough money to have our own rooms. Oh, that was fantastic! You know, it was just like that. She walks like a lady. She moved like a lady When I'm in her arms She loves like a lady Loving all night long Crying like a baby What tour was it that you were finally able to afford your own rooms? 
Boy, that's a good question. I, I knew it wasn't the first one. It wasn't the Infinity Tour. And I think by evolution, I think we might have been, uh, uh, we finally had got hotel rooms around evolution. Infinity was completely a bus washout with day rooms. I would say evolution was probably 50-50 day rooms and some some two and twos and, 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 and a road manager in one and Neil or me, we share rooms. Um and then I would say somewhere around departure, I, I know by the time we got to escape, we had our own rooms and we were in nice hotels, which was just, wow, that was touring. Do you look back at, uh, as, at escape as sort of being the golden era of, of that time with, with the music you were making and your relationship with the other band members and, and the fans' acceptance? This is how it went. When, when we first got together and... and Bruce Lumball was running Columbia Records in New York at the time. He made it very clear that if we could go platinum on Infinity, that we would make another record. And that, uh, and if we made that another record, then he would do his job to help promote and let the world know that the record exists. In other words, buy a full page and billboard, things like that, which were the, which were the internet of its time. And that first year of touring was why it was a nonstop Blaze. I remember leaving somewhere around the end of January, 1st of February, and getting home three days before Christmas. I, see, I did not make it home that year Jeez. until three days before Christmas. And when I got home, I remember <clears throat> going to my mom's house because uh, I didn't have an apartment. Why bother? I parked my car in her driveway. Made sense to me. I'm, I'm on the road. And I get home three, four days before Christmas, if I remember correctly, and I was sleeping down the hall, and the phone rang, and I jumped out of bed, buck naked, down the hall, I went running, thinking I was late for the bus. <laughs> this is the God strike me dead honest truth. And my mother looked at me like, what the hell? Because <laughs> she was already up having her cigarettes and coffee, and I'm standing there naked in the kitchen, you know? so much daily that you just kind of get into a, a cycle. And it got so much into a cycle that one night in Ohio, I thought I was in Cleveland, but I was in Toledo. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> good night, Cleveland, or hello, Cleveland. I don't know what I said. And the place booed the hell out of me. Well, that was the only mistake I ever did like that. Uh, after that, because of road burn and the intensity of the Turing spawning the term road burn, uh, between the bass drum, there was two bass drums and Steve Smith's uh, drum riser, hidden down between the two bass drums was a little tiny LED light shining over a piece of paper that said, Toledo. <laughs> okay, because I would be so singed around the edges I mean I could still perform and sing but I just really didn't know where I was except I just loved being in front of an audience do, do you know that um, and this just recently happened Greg Kinn who I guess toured with you uh, during some of those times he confessed about a month or so ago about having his roadies deliberately um, change the name of the cities occasionally on you 
on that tour so that you would say the wrong name. Uh, you know, I believe I believe that. I believe he did that. Because I'll tell you a Greg Ken story. <laughs> he was such an egomaniac and thought he was absolutely the coming of Jesus to music. And we were doing our best to navigate this incredible attitude that he had. And we all used to laugh at him because he was opening for us that he would do radio interviews during the afternoon while we're doing our sound check, you know, and then they would show up to do their quick check because we were done. Mm -hmm. He said on one radio station out there somewhere, um, something like, we get the press, Journey gets the money. <laughs> and I went, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, this guy was a mess. <laughs> he was a mess. And I'm sure he did change him because yeah. he was that big of a prick. <laughs> he, I couldn't believe he wrote it on his blog. And I, I put it on my, on my blog. And, and he's, he's, he put it on but then, like, but then my crew, my crew would double check. Because they knew, please don't don't hang me out to dry like that. <laughs> oh my God! You yeah. know he apologized for it on the blog, but I thought it was just I couldn't he didn't apologize to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, oh my God! This is the greatest phone call ever. Um, it's funny, right? I have to know this. When you're remastering songs, you know, that you wrote and you sang, do you find it hard not to critique your original performance? Are you are you beating yourself up over oh, things? Oh no, that... no. Oh no, it's it's constant critiquing. It's constant critiquing everything about it. And that's what was so challenging about reassembling the greatest hits two uh to be released on vinyl, which was one hundred and eighty gram virgin vinyl, and then going over and doing the same for the greatest hits with Don't Stop Believing to, back to vinyl. I mean, that was such a challenge that I was involved in critiquing the audio, the compression, critiquing every aspect of it on top of the most difficult part was this. When I heard these tracks come off of vinyl again, I, I, I got emotional beyond my wildest expectations. I didn't know it was going to happen. Um... I was working with Robert Hadley at the time on Greatest Hits 2 because we did it together. And, um, oh, my goodness, I, I just got so emotional because I forgot how good they sounded on vinyl. Because, you see, these tracks, these stereo mixes would start in a tracking room going through an old console, ending up, you know, 24 to 48 channels coming through a console to a stereo bus, a stereo bus to left and right. And somehow we'd get it on a piece of quarter-inch tape at 15 ips a second, per second. And it would sound amazing, but it was all geared and EQ'd and all mastered and all mixed with vinyl in mind because digital didn't exist. So when you hear those things go back to what they originally kind of started out targeting, that was their goalpost, you can feel the difference. You can feel and hear the difference that these tracks came home again. They came back to the goalpost that they originally were targeting 
when they were first being tracked in those recording studios. Because sound is, is geared for it. And emotionally, they messed me up. I forgot how good they were. I yeah. forgot how good they were, to be honest with you. The stereo separation, the echoes, the, uh, uh, the snare drum sounds. Neil's guitar is stupidly amazing. <laughs> stupidly amazing. And, and completely, still to this day, underrated in my opinion. Stupidly underrated, this guy. And, 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 you know, I hear I'm sitting there, and Neil and I have had our problems over the years. We probably don't like each other very much, you know, because we had a lot, of, we did a lot of times together. But I'm telling you what, I know we love each other, because when I listen to those tracks, I get all messed up about it. We don't have to work together. I, we, I, just, I just want that to be known, because, you know, it's in the tracks, as they used to say. Yeah. It's in the grooves, as they used to say. And it, that term, in the grooves, came from the day where they would cut records directly to disc, because there was no tape. So if it felt good, that meant it was in the grooves. We caught it in the groove. Well, that's what that old school stuff's all about. And, and I'll tell you, there was something magical about that band and, uh, and the whole era of targeting vinyl as the final destination. Um, I understand also remastered Street Talk. Yes. Um, is it different to do that project versus a Journey project? Uh, well, that's a good question. It, it's only different insofar as it was a different set of sonics with a different set of musicians, um, different grooves. It was more of a R&B pocket record because I always wanted to get into that aspect of it, and I and I hired drummer. Larry London and Bobby Glob on bass and Randy Goodwin was at keyboards and, and Craig Cramp on some drumming. And I mean, I hired musicians that were uh, extremely geared to that musical direction as opposed to Journey, which had its own direction. Sure. It didn't have to. You know what I mean? It just was what it was when we were together. That's who we were, which was the beauty of that. Uh, but Street Talk had its own challenges, um, you know, but sonically and all that, uh, Nico Bolas was my engineer on that project, and uh, he he and I mixed it four hands on that little API console. No automation, four hands, ten fingers each. You know, <laughs> so it was just grabbing and moving faders as the track's going down to a two track. You know, obviously, Oh Sherry is the is the is the huge hit off that album, and the video is almost as memorable as the song because it featured your thing girlfriend Sherry Swafford. Is it? Is it weird or uncomfortable? What kind of feelings go through your head to have a, a huge hit like that so prominently linked to a public relationship that, you know, ultimately didn't work out? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a tough question, man. That's why they pay me the big bucks. That's a tough question. Um, Sherry and I were crazy in love. I can tell you that. And, uh, and it was at very tough times because the band was peaking 
And uh, if if any woman out there thinks that uh, it would be really exciting to be the girlfriend of uh, somebody in a band like that, and that it would be just all peaches and cream, I mean, the truth is it was a hard thing to navigate a relationship while you're in the midst of such a ride. Uh, it was emotionally hard on her, emotionally hard on our relationship. Um, um you know, I'm prancing around every night, dancing around, ripping my shirt off, you know, <laughs> shaking my ass on stage, enjoying every goddamn minute of it. Uh, chicks wanting, chicks out there wanting to do things to me with a fork. Uh, that was exciting. Uh, I didn't partake in it, but it was there. Um, <laughs> it's challenging. It's challenging to the security of someone's heart. I mean, it's easy to see that. And I think it was difficult on a relationship, and eventually, uh, I think um, it just unfortunately got damaged a bit. But you know, relationship, but relationships get damaged. I mean, don't isn't that what they do sometimes? I mean, it's just sad, but it can happen. is music in your life nowadays? I mean, how important do you need to make music to be happy? Uh, in 1970, actually, I'm sorry, in 1998 when the band um, broke up, I think for the second time, I went back and we did Trial by Fire together, and then we we collapsed again. Um, um, I believe it was uh, I think it was May 8th of 1998 um, that it was kind of officially over. Um, I didn't do anything for a longest period of time till about two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago. I I loaded up a computer with Pro Tools and 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 thanks to some of the people that I had been listening to while I just stayed out of the way, let the journey guys do their thing, and I'm just going to just fall back into life and and let it all go, you know. And I had my hip replacement shortly after they moved on and. Um, I started writing music thanks to some people that I was listening to at that time, people like the Eels. Uh, I love E. I think his writing is is, uh, is bold and and uh, uh, edgy and and not afraid to do anything. And uh, he gave me courage to try to do the same, just to, to, to write whatever comes to mind uh, in any musical direction even if it's out of the fingerprint that people have known me for, I had to give myself the right to suck, <laughs> you know, and write some music that maybe isn't so great, you know. Uh, I don't think it's so great. I play it for friends. They, they love it. But then there's other ones that I know are better. So that's part of the process, you know. 
does the success that you had in the past, does that sort of intimidate you when you think about going forward in music? Of course it's in the background having to live up to certain amount of success that I never thought would happen. I had no idea in the year 2011 that we'd be seeing what's happening with Don't Stop Believing or, or releasing a Greatest Hits 2. I had no idea. You know, I didn't know that I'd be going to baseball games in San Francisco to have these seven and nine and ten year olds walking up with their parents asking me to sign their glove or their ball because they love the journey music. I, come on. Who knew? I certainly didn't. So is it intimidating at some level to want to not disappoint people? Of course it is. It, does, it can be that way. Um, I think the hardest thing's going to be for me when I start to record some of this music, which hopefully I'll get to sometime soon, um, is that, uh, that I keep me out of the way because I'm really the biggest problem I have with what you just said. I don't want to suck. But at the same time, I have to give myself... The right to suck. Yeah. You know, I have to. I have to give myself the right to just do what I want to do right now, whether people compare it to whatever or not. I, 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 I can't be what I once was. And speaking of baseball, you know, it's shown me an archetype of that. You see these players like a, like a J.T. Snow. I thought J.T. Snow retired too quick, but I guess in baseball that was right on time. Yeah. I, th- I thought that... Uh, I thought Kurt Reeder was still the Sam Cooke of pitchers. This guy, he could paint the corners. He wasn't very fast. He didn't have speed or heat, but he had corners, man. He he was soulful. He could, and if and if an ump wasn't getting him corners, he was going to die that day. But I thought he retired too quick too. But you know what? Looking back, he did it at the right time. So there seems to be a um, a shelf life, you know, for. For, for baseball, um, these guys know they can't be what they once were, so they don't try anymore. They walk away. And I think to a certain degree, I think that happens to musicians. And if, you're, if a guy like me is going to make some more music, I certainly got to give myself the right to not have to be what I once was, especially at this age. I get the impression sometimes, and maybe I'm being presumptuous here, that you don't understand how much your fans kind of adore you and want you to be happy. And I think that if, if you knew that, but you would, I think you could take some of the pressure off of your fear of sucking. I just, uh, you know, Steve, God, I wish that was true. I, I wish I could embrace that as true. I'm slowly starting to see that, um, that's possible. Uh, but if I could tell my fans anything right now, it would be that I want them to know I am happy. Uh, I was happy being in front of them every night. They lifted me to places I could not go without them. My voice was actually their voice because I had to go get it because they wanted to hear it. I can't get that without them. I've tried to sing like that here in my living room with my Pro Tool rig. What's missing is the quotient that they want me to do things that I can't find until I'm standing in front of them to go get it for them. And so they don't even know how much of a part of my life they were. They think I'm, I was a part of theirs, but they'll never know how 50-50 it really was. They need to know that. They need to know that. 
Without them, I was not who I am. But at the same time, I just want them to know that for the years that I have not been around, it was it was a difficult come down in the beginning, to be perfectly honest. It was like coming off the Earth's orbit and coming back through the atmosphere and, you know, burning some heat tiles off your face on the way in, you know? Because yeah. I had to come down, I had to just not be in that focus in front of everybody and my feet hit the ground and uh and now I, i'm okay i'm i love my life and and i'm and i'm so pleased that everybody still loves the music and um and i did let it go completely i think i had to really let it go completely steve with the idea that i was never going to go back to it and three years ago i started writing trying to find it and, and that's what's been going on since then. And a couple of times I've touched it. And it's given me a lift that I forgot about. That I thought I didn't need anymore. And all of a sudden, um, it's emotionally uh, pulled me through some hard times. So now I know what fans have been telling me. I think it's been um, almost 10 years to the day that we're speaking right now that um, VH1 first aired their Behind the Music special on Journey, which I think um, was the first time a lot of fans really understood all the things that had been going on in the background that we just weren't... Oh, there's that, they just touched on about 1% of it. <laughs> That's the truth. They touched on 1% of it and then turned it into a meal. Uh, I watched it again last night. I have it on DVD, and and it's just you know, there's this moment where you say that you miss performing, that you think about it four or five times a day. Still, do you still think about performing four or five times a day? Terribly so. I am not going to ask you if uh, about reunion stuff because you've answered that a thousand times. And but let me frame it somewhat differently. When Journey gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I say when and not if because I believe it will happen, will will you be there to rejoin your bandmates at the ceremony, and, and will you play a couple of tune, tunes with the boys? I really can't even answer that. Um, I don't think I can answer that question. You know, I have to see where my life is at that point, and... Um, I'm not sure if it's going to happen because I've never been that excited about any of those accolades, big Grammys or anything else. I, it, it was never, ever about any of that to me. In fact, if anything, I was really against that stuff and still kind of am because I, I think that you don't need to worry about awards if you do the music right, let the music do your talking for you, then there's nothing else to say. In fact, every night, uh, this is the God's truth, John and Neil like to wake up in the morning and go to the coffee shop at the hotel and read the reviews. I never read the reviews. 
Only the two I read were bad enough for me to never read them again. So I never read reviews. I decided that I don't need to to see what one person has to say about the show because I don't want to read papers. I don't want to win awards. What I want is to know, is there an encore? If we get that encore, an honest encore, I mean an honest encore, because there were nights that we wouldn't get one and we wouldn't go back out there. But if we get an honest encore, that is my review. That is the award. I've moved on already. I'm in the bunk sleeping on the bus into the next city. I don't give a damn about awards. You know what I mean? I really don't because it was about that to me. Steve, as long as you're happy, that's all I give a damn about. (laughs) I'm happy, Steve. Brad, how do you think uh, the interview holds up? I think it holds up really well. A couple things. I listened to it yesterday, and the two thoughts that came to me. One, the emotion in Steve Perry's voice when he talks about his relationship with Sherry. Like, you can tell, like, he was kind of struggling to find his words a little bit, and it's just this really nice moment. I I felt really kind of almost privileged that he was willing to share that. And two, it just made me so happy that you got that interview. I know how much that meant to you. And it was just, it was cool to hear it again. I haven't listened to it probably since it was first out. Wow. So. Yeah. How do I think it holds up? I, pretty well. I, I don't think uh, when you ask about any regrets about it. I think it might be one of the few things in my life where I don't have regrets about it. I, I feel like I, <laughs> and if, if you only knew how rare that was for me. <laughs> Most of my close friends know that I am nothing if not a man with a lot of regrets. And <laughs> Stuck in the 80s has always been like my personal psychotherapy exercise each week in trying to um, get a control on the demons. But when I sat down and did that interview, I know I, I asked him everything I wanted to ask him. He gave me amazing answers. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know. But he seemed. it just seemed like you guys are having such a yeah. great conversation. There was this connection I, there. I, at some point, I remember I, I had like, I think I had 10 or 12 questions written down. But I don't even think I looked at him during the interview. I think it was just one of those. It was just a chat that just went back and forth. For mm-hmm. a, We talked for maybe, I think it was 45 minutes, maybe close to an hour. And I edited it, some of it down. But um, yeah. for the most part, it. it runs as the conversation went i'm glad we got a chance to share it again hopefully everyone enjoyed it yeah my only message to steve perry i'm, I'm so happy you're back i'm so happy that the, yeah. the courage is there i'm so happy that you fulfilled a promise the, to to kelly to make new music and that you've given yourself permission to put something yes. new out there i mean that's something he talks about in the interview is you know i have to give myself permission to make the music that is and not worry about the music right. that was we all need to give ourselves permission to uh to make today what it is and not worry about what tomorrow was so until october 5th when we get to hear the rest of the album which i have pre-ordered as well brad and i and legions of journey fans remain here hopelessly stuck in the 80s i told you of my love today